From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. Oregon's primary election is about a month away on May 17th. Ballots go out in less than two weeks. So we want you to be ready. The deadline to register to vote is April 26th. In this episode of Straight Talk, we're going to look into the safety and security of Oregon elections and what's being done to protect election workers, some of whom have received death threats. There are also some changes about when your ballot needs to be postmarked for it to count. Who better to shed light on the election process than Oregon's Secretary of State Shamia Fagan? We'll also ask her about some controversial decisions she made recently about campaign finance and the disqualification of Nicholas Kristof in the governor's race. We'll hear about some important audits her office conducted, including a close look at mortgage interest deductions. I'm pleased to welcome my guest, Oregon's Secretary of State Shamia Fagan. Welcome back to Straight Talk. You know, you've been here a few times over the years, but this is the first time, I think, since you were elected, so it's really nice to have you back on the show. It's great to be here, Laurel. I look forward to our conversation. Well, you've been in office for a year and a few months. How would you describe what this last year has been like? Uh, honestly, just grateful. I'm so grateful to Oregonians for letting me serve as, as your Secretary of State. I'm just having a blast. I mean, getting to go all around the state, meet with county clerks, get to talk to students. I was in two different high schools, one in Tigard and one in Dufer just this week, just encouraging you know these young people to get engaged, civic engagement, register to vote. So it's an absolute honor to do this job and I'm extraordinarily grateful to Oregonians for letting me do it. And if I remember right, you're from Dufer, aren't you? That's right, that's where I went to elementary school and then a graduate of the Dallas High School. Well, it's already time for another election, if you can believe it. And some Oregonians do have concerns about the safety and security of elections nationwide and here in Oregon. A poll by the Oregon Values and Beliefs Center found close to one third of Oregonians still believe there was significant fraudulent voting in the 2020 election, that it was rigged. Secretary Fagan, should they be concerned about the May primary in Oregon? What's your message to Oregonians about the security of Oregon elections? Well, first off, the election was accurate. This is reported from uh, you know nonpartisan officials, federal judges, uh, even folks within the Trump administration said this was the most secure election in American modern history. And so first off, Oregonians can be confident that their elections here in Oregon are secure. We've been the gold standard in elections done vote by mail for over 20 years. Laurel, we have paper ballots. You can't hack paper forensic signature verification, unique barcode tracking for every single ballot that goes out, every single registered voter. And then of course, we've done post-election audits here in Oregon in all 36 of our counties after every single election, whether it's a presidential election or a May school board race. And so Oregonians can be confident that our elections have been secure for the past 20 years, and they'll be continued to be secure in vote by mail going forward. I know your office has been concerned about misinformation. Have you seen any examples of misinformation regarding the upcoming election? Well, Laurel, the example that you just gave is the symptom of misinformation, right? It's not surprising. I completely understand uh, that folks have been fed misinformation and you know concerns about the election. As you mentioned, I grew up in Wasco County, and so I've heard from people who I grew up with who know who know me since I was in church as a five-year-old, uh, who now know that I'm Secretary of State. They've reached out about their concerns. So it really is the the false information. Some of it unintentionally shared, but some of it intentionally shared to cause chaos and to really to make democracy look bad. And so we know at the Secretary of State's office under my administration, we know that the best 
tool against false information is accurate information, but it has to be delivered by a trusted source and it needs to reach voters ideally before they're exposed to false information. So that's one initiative we're really working on. This election cycle is what we're calling pre-bunking. There's less work to do in debunking false information if you pre-bunk that information and Oregonians hear accurate information about their elections first. And here's an example of your pre-bunking. Your office is launching a couple of PSA campaigns to combat confusion and misinformation. And one of them is about Oregon's closed primaries and the importance of voters checking their registration status. Let's take a look. I checked my voter registration online and I am ready to vote. I feel amazing. Hey, you. Did you know the Republican and Democratic parties have closed primaries? That means you need to register with one of them to vote in their primary election. Or you can register with a minor party or not be affiliated with any party at all. You get to choose. That's why your ballot may have different candidates than mine. Oh, wow. I'm going to hike around Crater Lake and treat myself to clam chowder at the coast. Don't know how to check if you registered? Just visit OregonVotes.gov and be sure to check at least 21 days before the May election to make any updates. I feel incredible. Who wants to frolic in some tulips? Makes me want some clam chowder at the coast. A cute PSA. Secretary Fagan, what else do you want voters to know about Oregon's closed primaries? Well, the, the most important information is honestly delivered right there in that PSA, Laurel. Thank you, first of all, to KGW for showing that because, again, we want to get that accurate information out there. And we did a, a request for proposals and got a few proposals and ended up picking an incredible design firm uh, called Happy Lucky. We worked with our county clerks to actually put that out. They were on the committee making sure that information was accurate. But they told us that's the number one source of confusion consistently going back for Oregon voters is when the May election shows up and they look at their ballot maybe it's different than their spouse's ballot or they've seen a candidate on tv who they want to vote for or against and yet that person is not on their ballot and so making sure that oregonians know that the republican and democratic parties have chosen to close their primaries so in order to vote uh, for a democratic or republican candidate from races from governor uh, to state legislature and all the way through um, that they have to be registered to that party at least 21 days before the election which is really easy to do on oregonvotes.gov and for those folks that don't like to be registered to a party they can go on oregonvotes.gov the day after the election and go back to being a non-affiliated voter they just have to within 21 days before the election be registered to one of those parties or not register for any party but just understand that's why sometimes ballots look different in the same household because of party affiliation and closed primaries. And of course, during the general election, they would be able to vote for, for any of the candidates. But there's also an important change to mail-in voting laws. Ballots will be counted as long as they're postmarked by 8 p.m. on Election Day. This is something Washington State already does. Tell us about the significance of this change. Absolutely. So first off, I want Oregonians who have their tradition of maybe walking down to the local library or city hall and dropping their ballot in a drop box. That doesn't change any way that you have previously turned in your ballot that arrived by election day, you don't have to change anything. What this does is for people who do mail their ballots before ballots had to arrive at the county elections office by 8 p.m. on election day. Now they have to be postmarked on or before election day if they're going to arrive after the election day by mail. And we wanna emphasize that these ballots are cast on time. They are signed, sealed, delivered by 8 p.m. on election day. They may make up to seven days to get there by mail, but as long 
as they have that postmark by election day, then Oregonians can be sure that everybody cast their ballot on time and that only ballots that were cast on time are going to be counted by our county clerks. And you'll be seeing PSAs about that too. But that also means in close races and for us, uh, for journalists reporting, we may not know the results on election night, right? That's correct, and, and I can speak personally here, Laurel, uh, in, my, in one of my state house races, I didn't find out that I'd won until the next day. And in my race for secretary of state in the primary in 2020, I actually didn't find out for a couple of days that I had won. And, and actually some people had called the race for one of my colleagues in the, in the race. And so I understand as a candidate what it's like to not have those results right maybe on election night. But what's most important is not that we get them early, Laurel, it's that we get them right and then we make sure that our voting system is secure and accessible. And that's why Oregon is the gold standard for vote by mail across the country. And we're looking forward to implementing this new rule, but to remind Oregonians that any, ba any ballot that is going to be counted will have been cast on time by 8 p.m. on election day. Well, your office has also been concerned about threats to election workers, and you encourage Oregon lawmakers to pass a bill protecting them from harassment and threats, which did pass. And we have a copy of an excerpt of a threatening letter an Oregon County clerk received in January. How will this new law protect election workers, and what message does it send? Well, the message is simple, Laurel. We need to protect the people who protect and run our democracy. And that really is our county clerks uh, and our election workers across the state. You know, I am the chief elections officer, but it's my job to make sure that we have the uniform interpretation and application of election laws. It's our county clerks out there in all 36 counties that are actually mailing those ballots out, receiving those ballots, counting those ballots, and reporting those results. They are the ones that make our democracy work. Our 36 independently elected county clerks across the state. And so it was incumbent on me as the chief elections officer to do everything I can to protect those folks. That letter that you showed came to one of our county clerks here in Oregon. Another county clerk down in Southern Oregon came to work on the day the presidential election was certified to find the words bullet, next time bullets spray painted on the parking lot of the county clerk's office. That's simply unacceptable. And so we worked with Republicans and Democrats to pass the Bipartisan Election Worker Safety Act. I had clerks testify from around the state. And just to make sure that number one, some of their personal information will be exempted from public records, some of that personal identifying information, their addresses, et cetera. And also to actually increase penalties, uh, criminal penalties for harassment or threats towards Oregon's election workers. Well, let's talk about a couple of high-profile controversial decisions you've made this year, and I'll outline them briefly and then get your reaction. And the first one involved former New York Times columnist Nick Kristof, who was running for governor, and your office determined he did not meet the constitutional requirements that he be a resident of Oregon for three years prior to the election. You disqualified him, and your decision was upheld by the state Supreme Court. And then there was a second controversial decision involving campaign finance measures. In Oregon right now, as a lot of people know, there are no limits on campaign giving and Oregon voters in 2020 overwhelmingly passed a measure allowing limits, but we don't know what those limits are. And you rejected three proposed ballot measures to set those contribution limits because the measures did not write out in full, as I understand it, the language of any law that would be altered, even a little bit. How much pressure were you under in making those decisions? Well, Laurel, first off, as I said at the beginning of the show, I'm grateful to Oregonians to allow me to be their Secretary of State. I'm also aware that they didn't elect me to be Secretary of State to just enjoy a four-year picnic, right? They elected me to make difficult decisions 
and to be held accountable for those decisions. So I want to thank you as a member of our media for asking me about those, because that's absolutely what Oregonians can expect from me, that if I'm going to make a decision, that I'm going to stand by it and be willing to take questions about it. Um, you know, those were, were difficult decisions just because I knew that they were about issues that a lot of Oregonians care about, who's our next governor, and also campaign finance reform. Laurel, I'm one of those millions of Oregonians who voted uh, to have campaign finance limits to allow those by amending our constitution. So I was personally disappointed to find that the measure that were put forward, the three, didn't meet the constitutional requirements. The constitution requires for any measure that's being amended, you have to lay out the full text of the law. And that's something enforced by me as the secretary of state, our county clerks, when they're looking at ballot measures, including Metro. I know Metro uh, attorneys had to reject a measure just in the last couple of weeks. Same issue, did not lay out the full text. The vast majority of ballot measures that go through have no problem meeting this. That's why most Oregonians are like, I've never heard of this. Well, because most uh, signature gathering efforts have already easily sailed by and met this. And and one thing I want your viewers to understand, Laurel, about our, our process is that in order to get something on the ballot, you know, gatherers of petition, you know, signatures have to get sometimes hundreds of thousands of signatures to get something on the ballot. So we have a process by which after they have only gathered 1,000 signatures, they send their petition to the Secretary of State's office or to their county clerk, whatever the, the ruling jurisdiction is, and they say, hey, just making sure I've got all this right. So if there are any constitutional errors, those are caught early when you've got 1,000 signatures, not later when you have you know 150,000 signatures. That's exactly what we did here. They had only gathered 1,000 signatures. They submitted their petitions. We found that that issue in the Constitution that they had not complied with the full text rule. As a supporter of campaign finance reform, I wish those petitioners could have turned around and in a day refiled the exact same petition without the constitutional error and been moving forward. They didn't do that. Um, but here, you know, I want Oregonians to understand that that's part of our safeguards of our system. We catch those errors early so they can be remedied. It actually happens more, you know, frequently than people know. A petitioner will withdraw fix the error, refile it uh, within a very short period of time. And so I'm eager to see campaign finance reform as well in Oregon. But most importantly, Laurel, I know that Oregonians expect me to uphold the Constitution, regardless of my personal opinion about a particular candidate or a particular issue. And that's exactly what I did in those cases. Well, I want to push on this just a little bit more because one of the people behind the campaign finance measures, Jason Kafori, who you've said has been one of your donors in the past, said you rejected the measure because it would limit contributions of labor unions, which contributed millions to your 2020 campaign and help you get elected. He told the Willamette Week, it smells like selective enforcement to me and it reeks of political cronyism. And Kristoff made a similar complaint saying your decision to disqualify him was influenced by politics. Can you say unions and politics have really no influence at all on your decisions in either case? I can confirm that absolutely. Uh, they had absolutely no influence on these. The only thing that influenced these decisions is the Oregon Constitution that I took up, you know, that I took an oath to uphold. And so certainly uh, for both the quotes that you provided, look, it's it's disappointing for those folks, uh, you know, the decisions that were made. And uh, at least in, in the case of honest elections, as I said, they could have fixed that error the same day or the next day and refile that petition and they'd be off gathering signatures. And so, you know, it's disappointing, but, you know, again, 
I am an elected leader. Oregonians have the right to criticize me, to question my decisions, and to hold me accountable. And so, you know, I don't begrudge them for being frustrated. That's the job that I signed up for. And uh, and so I just want Oregonians to know that, you know, whether they're a well-funded frontrunner or whether it's a popular issue or something I support or something that I haven't supported in the fast, past, right, in my, um, in my political life, regardless, I'm going to uphold the Constitution and I'm going to apply the law fairly and consistently, regardless of my personal opinion about an issue or a particular candidate. I believe that's what Oregonians can expect from their Secretary of State. And with me, that's exactly what they're going to get. And House Speaker Rayfield told us here on Straight Talk that he, he does think that lawmakers will take this up again in, in the next session. Yeah, we, time for us to take a break right now, but some Oregonians may not know that your office, the Secretary of State's office, conducts audits of state agencies. We'll look at a few and see what they found and some audits on the way. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter, and welcome once again to my guest, Oregon Secretary of State Shamia Fagan. Well, one of your important roles is as auditor, and your office works to make sure public funds are used properly and efficiently. And that's where really government accountability comes in. And one of your audits looked at the 99-year-old home mortgage interest deduction that's never been audited before. What did you find? Well, thanks, Laurel. I think that as Oregon's chief auditor, that's really one of the best tools we have to make sure that the scarce resources that Oregonians you know, provide to the state actually is used to make a, a positive impact in the lives of people who need it the most. And so we know that we're in a, a statewide housing crisis and affordability crisis. And so we chose to audit the mortgage interest deduction, which is actually the state's largest tax expenditure on housing. It's actually one of the largest tax expenditures in the entire state budget, but it's the single largest on housing. So in the midst of an affordability crisis, we said, okay, the state's largest housing subsidy, how is that helping with this affordability crisis? And what the audit found, as you mentioned, in almost 100 years, had literally never been audited. So imagine, you know, that compare that to spending on, on you know, things like our schools that every two years those go up and have to be, you know, ask the legislature for that money again. The mortgage interest deduction just stays there for 100 years and had never been audited. And so what the audit found was a really a wake-up call. The state's single largest expenditure on housing, um, which is a deduction that some but not all homers can use to reduce taxable income. Um, put it simply, it uh, primarily benefits wealthy homeowners in the metro areas and, and really actually exacerbates the racial disparities that we have in homeownership here in Oregon. So in a statewide housing crisis, a disproportionate amount of that money goes to wealthy folks and to metro counties. And so what the audit recommended for the legislature was to number one, define a purpose of the audit of the mortgage interest deduction. Uh, we found that there actually was not a purpose. People have ideas for what they think the purpose is, but from a legal standpoint, the audit found there is no actual legislative purpose for the mortgage interest deduction. So we recommended the legislature, number one, make a purpose. And then number two, consider any reforms that ensure that it's actually meeting that purpose in an efficient way. And another audit you did, Oregon has one of the highest number of domestic terrorism and violent extremism incidents in the country. We've been hearing about that recently. And a recent audit advisory report from your office said that represents a threat to Oregonians and the state is lacking some of the tools it needs to thwart domestic terrorism. What needs to be done? Well, Laurel, you and I, I'm sure, believe that Oregon, you know, needs to be an inclusive democracy where everybody can live free from fear. 
and domestic terrorism is really an immediate threat to that vision. As you mentioned, Oregon actually has the single highest rate, the single highest rate of domestic terrorism incidents per capita in the entire country. And so we have to do more. And we found in our in our advisory report that the legislature needs to act to define domestic terrorism in Oregon. We, of course, use the definition from the federal law for the audit report, uh, but really creating more training and and getting ahead of this so that before people actually become radicalized and end up acting, com uh, committing acts of domestic terrorism. And looking ahead, the results of an audit are coming out soon. That will be pretty interesting to a lot of Oregonians. And it involves all the problems, all the delays we saw from the Oregon Employment Department during the pandemic, getting funds out to people from the federal government who were out of work during the pandemic. A lot of people waited months to get the money. What can we look forward to from this audit? Accountability. You know, this is something, this is an interesting kind of audit because there actually have been audits of the unemployment insurance program before. So our audit is not only looking at what went wrong this time in the pandemic, Laurel, but it's saying, what happened to these previous audits? Why weren't actions taken on those recommendations in the past? So it's an audit looking at both what happened during the pandemic, but also the history of why have these audit recommendations in the past from previous secretaries of state serving as the chief auditor? Why have those not been followed? And what do we need to do to make sure these recommendations are followed so that this never happens again in, in, for Oregon families? And you'll be auditing what's happening with implementing Measure 110. Voters will remember they passed that in 2020 and it removed criminal penalties for low-level drug possession and a key component it was supposed to make treatment and recovery services available to those who need and want access what will your audit look at here the same thing all of our audits look at right which is what is the purpose and the policy and how is it performing for that this is something that is, is near and dear to my heart as i've been you know very very open with oregonians my mom battled addiction and, and homelessness for most of my life and so looking at this program that could be groundbreaking as the first state in the country to do this how do we make sure that it, we take it state at purpose what recommendations can our professional auditors make to the legislature to make this work better Better. And that's exactly what we're going to be looking at for the Measure 110 audit. And on a, a lighter fun note, you are a big supporter of women's basketball and of a new bar that supports women's sports. It's the Sports Bra in Northeast Portland. Tell us about that. What a cool concept. I'm not uh, I'm not the only women's sports fan who's gone to a sports bar before to watch a major game. We're talking like college basketball championships and can't find a TV with the game on or if it is on, it's in some corner and then the sound is off. And so Jenny Nguyen, the, the owner and really creator of the sports bra, took, to, the, took the word bar and then switched two letters, the sports bra, and said, we're going to have a sports bar where all people, you know, men, women, all people that enjoy women's sports can know that there will always be women's sports on the television. So for me, I, I like a lot of sports, but I'm a huge basketball fan, not just college. I go and watch the my local high school girls basketball team play a lot. I was out at the University of Portland for the at the Child Center watching the girls high school uh, state championships and playoffs this year. So I'm thrilled to have a place where I can go that I, I know that there will always be women's sports on the TV and the, the sound will be on. And you have a particular player you're watching, aren't you? A, a high school player? Yeah, Oregon Gatorade Player of the Year, Jazzy Davidson, is, is, is likely the best freshman in the country. She's a 6'1", 
uh, guard who, as my daughter says, who watches her, who's five, says she's like a ballerina with a basketball, one of the most graceful basketball players I've ever seen and just happens to go to the high school in our backyard. So, yes, there's an incredible team. The whole Clackamas girls team is incredible. But, yeah, we do have our eye on our future WNBA star Jazzy Davidson here in Oregon. And just a few seconds left uh, to share a final thought with our viewers. Well, the biggest thing we want to press again, Laurel, is if you, you know, if you see something, ask somebody, right? If you see something online that concerns you about the election coming up, you know, call your county clerk, call our elections division, go on OregonVotes.gov. We're going to have a page where we're keeping up with the misinformation and false information and giving the accurate information to Oregon voters. But the biggest thing I want to leave your, your viewers with, Laurel, is that Oregon elections are secure and accessible and trustworthy. And uh, we've had vote by mail here working great for over 20 years, and it's going to continue to work great under my administration. Well, Secretary of State Shamia Fagan, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. And thank you for watching. Join us next week for my conversation with KGW alum journalist Ann Curry, who was just honored with the Edward R. Murrow Lifetime Achievement Award and is a big champion of restoring trust in journalism. We'll hear about that and hear her insight into some of the most powerful stories she's reported on over the decades. And don't forget, you can get Straight Talk as a podcast. Search for KGW Straight Talk wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week for Straight Talk. Have a great week.